So building your own home. We knew when we started uh, in the country that if we couldn't build our own buildings, I'd never be able to live in the country because we just didn't have the money to hire people to build. Now, some people do have a lot more money, especially some older people have had a good business. We've had a couple of folks like that come into our valley. They were very good people, but they, they had money they had made. And, but the ones that have tried to hire somebody to build a sustainable country home have had lots of difficulty because most contractors, even in our area, they know how to build a home that you can overpower nature with propane and diesel and electricity and blowers and th thermostats and y you name it. But to build a home that will kind of heat itself and is inexpensive, they don't know what you're talking about. And so if they try, they try to charge you a lot more because they're afraid that they might run into problems and, and so on. So we wanted to build again, living naturally, we wanted to build a natural home. Something that didn't need any thermostats, uh, no blowers, no fans, no heat exchangers, no electricity at all to run the heating system. And we wanted something that we could go off to town and visiting for three, four days and the house wouldn't freeze in the winter with nothing. Uh, our first home that we built, our mistake house, and we had one other home we built for, we lived in for a little bit. <coughs> they weren't that way. They had no mass. So when we um, would leave, if we didn't go home that night and it turned to 15 below zero, it could freeze by the next morning. And there's many homes in our area still that way. So we wanted to build a home that would really last, <clears throat> but it had to be inexpensive. So this is kind of what we did. So that's our home. <laughs> that's actually the homestead cabin I mentioned, 1905. Still on our place. It's falling down now. That's what the original pioneers on our place actually lived in. That wasn't their washing machine. But, um, and I used it for storage a little bit. It's kind of nice to have that old building there. I wished we could have kept it up, but it was in pretty rough shape even when we got there. This was the little um, sawmill that we tried to make 40 years ago to build our first mistake house. Didn't work very well. Linda would run the, <clears throat> the controls on the little motor while I, we had a cart that's not there that we tried to push through the mill, it cut crooked. I didn't realize how much of an art circle saws like that are. The old mills used to do that. So we milled just enough to, to do the framing lumber and then we had to quit. You notice it's been a while because that tree grew up since we left it. I gotta tell you one interesting story though about it. Uh, we were trying to save money any way we could because we didn't have much money. So we just didn't want a lot of expenses. And one problem you have when you move to the country anywhere, how are you going to do the laundry? Because we didn't have a washing machine yet. Well, this little motor that we were running didn't have a radiator. All I did was went up on our hill and got one of our little gravity springs and piped it down. It was just laying on top of the ground because it was in the summer fall. And I ran it through where the radiator pipes would have gone through the engine. I just ran it through and turned a valve until it was coming out nice and warm so the engine wouldn't overheat and it wouldn't be cold. <coughs> One day, <coughs> it was probably Linda, said, well, 
Can't we use that to wash clothes? Because it was good spring water. Well, the more water that ran through, of course, it cleaned out the engine slick as clean it as can be. <laughs> and this clear, warm water was coming out. Well, it didn't have a fan on the front because we weren't cooling. And there was just a pulley running there. And she said, man, if we get an old ringer washer that runs on a pulley and set it here while we're doing lumber, I can do the laundry. <laughs> and that's what we did. We had hot water, essentially free, and the wastewater, we have... I'll show you on Alpine Gardening. <clears throat> we have what are called Columbia ground squirrels. They're cute as can be. They dig holes in the ground, but they eat your garden. They're not uh, moles. Um, anyway, their garden, they make these holes. There was one handy, and our soil is so porous, we just ran the wastewater from the washing machine in a ground squirrel hole, and it, it disappeared. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff you can do. We keep it around just for the nostalgia. That's the mistake house that we built. And I urge all of you, if you haven't already moved to your property and already got your house built and all that, build a mistake house first. Build a little cabin that's comfortable for you. Now, if you've got four kids already, it might be a problem. But we had no children when we built this. Uh, we lived in it a little later when Rochelle was with us. <clears throat> it was 20 by 24, had log foundation. I built it as a 10-year building. I wasn't planning on being it permanent. It cost us $1,500 build the whole place back then. Uh, we milled the framing lumber, but the siding you see was kind of like number three lumber we finally bought. And we lived in there while we built our first home. And it's wonderful because if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have learned a lot of the stuff that I was doing wrong. I'll just point out a couple things we did wrong. The doors on the side. We came from California. Well, where's all the snow end up? Yeah, so we were fighting snow all the time. I'd never heard of ice damming. Some of you know what that is. Ice damming is where you have a roof like this, like you see on the side, and it's all insulated, okay? But right where it goes over the eave, outside the house there's no insulation so the snow all piles up and it's heated uh, where you're heating the place so it gets underneath it gets watery starts to run down but when it hits right at the corner of the house where there's no insulation at that point it freezes up because it's getting cold from both sides it freezes a great big dam it freezes and freezes and freezes and finally it's up like this the roof is this way but the ice is like this Water comes down, runs on that, runs back under your shingles and down into your house. And it was like, duh, I didn't know that. And so we, had, we did that all wrong. Um, a couple other things quickly that we did wrong. We had a fireplace in there. It wasn't well built. It was one of our first. It smoked because we <clears throat> didn't know how to lay rock. We had a little wood cook stove in there. It had its own little flue. We'd start the wood cook stove, Linda would, in the morning. Then I'd start the fireplace, which has this great big yawning mouth. It was sucking lots of air. We'd turn around, and here was a column of smoke coming from the wood cook stove right through the room like this and going right into the fireplace. Because the fireplace wanted to, needed combustion air, I had everything closed up like a drum. The only place it could get it is down the flue from the wood cook stove. I said... We put a little root cellar in this thing, in the kitchen. You just could jump in it, basically. There was a hole in the ground. 
it was totally moldy within nothing flat. It was all damp and bad. You know, you saw our other one, how nice it was. We didn't have refrigerator. We had no electricity to start with. <clears throat> so we built a little box on the back of this that was screened to the outside. It allowed the cold air in. In the winter, we had a refrigerator. Okay? But most of the time, it didn't work that well because there wasn't any air movement. So one day, I sat down and I said, we've just made three big mistakes. What I need is a tunnel from that little root cellar to my refrigerator box and then a tunnel from the root cellar under the fireplace and a hole coming up in the fireplace and now the fireplace will suck air through the refrigerator cooling it through the root cellar drying it and it'll feed air and I won't be sucking smoke. It took me three days with hand tools to knock a hole through 16 inches of concrete at the base of that because I'd done it all wrong the first time. And when I finally broke through, it worked like a charm. And that's how we learned that whole thing I told you in our home, how to dry your root cellar and all that sort of stuff. You got to learn. Anyway, see the little fountain? We, we wanted to have a fountain. That was our first little one. Eventually, uh, you tell them about the squirrel cage fan. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I've mentioned to some of you, you can start trying and experimenting before you actually get a piece of property and are out in the country. And one thing we did, we were still in town teaching, and we'd been talking Peloton wheels, turbines, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, one Friday afternoon, I went to the dumpster to empty our trash. And I looked in there, and lo and behold, there was a squirrel cage fan, which was off of a, uh, probably around here, you have, are familiar cooler. with swamp coolers. Anyway, it had come out of a swamp cooler, and evidently a swamp cooler had had a problem, and they threw away the squirrel cage fan. So I go back and tell Jerry, I wasn't about to go grabbing this out of a dumpster, but I thought he might, so <laughs> I went back and told him, guess what I saw? It looked like it might work, and so he went back and got it, and we experimented with it with a hose first, and then... Fashioned a little sprayer like this, <laughs> hit that squirrel cage fan, spun it real nice, put a belt on it to an alternator, and we had power. Very inefficient, but that was our first hydroelectric Very power. We took it up to here from California, and you can't see in the picture, up we had Montana, a little... Yeah. I'm sorry, up to Montana, and put it in a, a little <laughs> spring house. And that's how we made our first power. It ran one light bulb. <laughs> That was better than none. But we graduated <laughs> from that over time. So don't be afraid to build a small cabin. And when we were done living in it, we rented it for six or eight years, I think, and made six times as much money as it cost us to build it. And by then, the foundation, it's just log foundation was going bad. And, and eventually, poor tired thing, it looked like that. <laughs> About two years ago, it was just storage and whatnot. And our daughter, who was want us to build on our place now said dad I don't want to lose all that so they had it torn down saved all the good lumber and they're using some of that for nostalgia in their nice new home I'm kind of makes me feel good now we had hand hewn beams in there that we had made ourselves and they're going to use those and so on it's no longer there um, we built this was our first home we thought it would be so cold in Montana we had to have an a-frame so we built a home like this to catch all the snow, but it wasn't a great idea. We lived there about 14 years, and when we were gone on a trip, it caught fire. We don't know how. Probably electrical. We learned another lesson. Don't leave your power on 
when you leave a home that's 40 miles from town. Nobody will see it till it's gone. Houses, I think there's a quarter of a million, a million houses burn every year in the United States. A whole lot more catch fire, but they're caught. The neighbor sees it. So we don't leave our power on except in the root cellar. It's all concrete. So we had to build a new house. In building a home, uh, we tried to use all the native materials we could. And some of you will think this great, and some of you say there's no way in the world I could do this. But we wanted to have our own lumber as much as we could, and so we got a chainsaw mill. I'd never, I just kind of read about them, and I think I mentioned we, over time, we Alaskan ended up mill. milling. It's Alaskan Mark III, they call them. I have a magazine back here <clears throat> that has them in them. They only cost $200. And we milled about 30,000 board feet of lumber, which is a lot of lumber. With your chainsaw? With our chainsaw. Over many years, <laughs> when I would need beams or a certain number of lumber, I'd just mill it, and then I wouldn't mill. And the mill didn't cost me anything because I went down and bought the biggest saw in the world at that time. It was a Husqvarna something or other. Um, it cost $900. Today, it's about $1,800. It's a big saw, but it would really cut through lumber. Uh, and here's the choice I had to make. I could leave my family, and I could go to town and get a job and pay the taxes and all the deductions and all the commuting fees and all that, come back with this meager little pile of money, and then I could go to town again and buy the lumber and haul it off that awful road. And when I finally got done, here's my little pile of lumber. Now, how much time did that take me? If in that same time I could stay at home, put earplugs in, of course, and mill my lumber with Linda helping me, she'd be on the end of a rope pulling sometime, and all that sort of stuff, and whenever we were done, we were home, I would rather do that and be there with my family. So it was a cost analysis. It was time against money. And whenever we could do it faster by making money and buying it, we did. But if I could do it myself at home, I'd rather. So this is a tree we cut recently. It was in a road. It, the, it was just too tight a bend. And trees like that, it's one of those tamarack, make beautiful lumber. This is a tree that fell over, fortunately fell away from our house. It was only probably 100 feet from the house. It fell the right way. That's a spruce, an old-growth spruce. See the root mass those things have? It was 12 feet in diameter. And there's little Curtis thinks it's wonderful. <clears throat> we cut it, and the stump fell back in the hole. So it's still there. This was the bottom end that was a little crooked, but it's a pretty good-sized spruce tree. Put the saw there so you could see from perspective. That's the tree when it's all limbed. The upper end we cut for firewood and all that. And this is how you cut chainsaw lumber. All you have to have is you kind of smooth it off, and you put a... A, a nice straight two by six. They actually make a jig you can buy. It's made of aluminum rails, even better, but I was too scotch to buy it. You just do a two by six like this. You set the little mill is clamped to your bar. It isn't bolted, so it just comes off again. doesn't hurt anything. You just set the depth that you want. I wanted to cut off about, you know, two inches of slab. And when the slab's off, that becomes the smooth cut for the next cut. So you cut that, and there's Curtis helping me out. And we're proud of our first board. Now you can either do it this way and edge it later. If you do, 
every board gets wider and wider till you get to the middle and then less so you get a lot wider this one I could get 2 by 14s probably out out of if otherwise you cut it three-sided like this three sides first and then just slice them off like bread and you get all 2 by 6 or 2 by 8 or something like that in our experience 2 by 6 8 10 and so on were worth it beams like six by sixes and six by eights were really worth it because it's only four cuts and you're done but trying to cut a lot of one by paneling or siding took a lot of time and that might be better to buy <clears throat> you can just take this and sticker it and it dries and I took this picture so you could see some of the lumber in our home that we cut with a chainsaw the dining room there, the whole thing is paneled with chainsaw lumber, and that's a close-up of it. It actually almost looks plain. If you get a good blade and keep it sharp, and it's beautiful. And Linda and I still remember the day we went out, and we worked together and milled that lumber. If you buy a house somebody else built, you'll never have that feeling. And it, it was worth it to us. Um, the curved beams that you see there, you can't buy those in town either. We cut those with a chainsaw because we wanted a lot of curves and angles in our home. All the uh, four by fours and the curved uh, balusters there for our railing, we cut. Our first home, we cut a lot more lumber. This one, we had to. We were working full time in our school program, and so we had to do a little more of a cost analysis. These beams we also cut with that chainsaw mill. These are 27 feet long, and it's really hard to buy a beam that long. And even if you can buy it, how are you going to get it up there? Um, so it saved us a tremendous amount of money to do those. The whole This is in the solarium. The whole solarium was framed with our own lumber with a few exceptions. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about building in your home too, but particularly in a humid greenhouse like this is. Our first one we built like this. We had logs instead of beams. We put fiberglass insulation between them, which is what you're supposed to do, I thought. We put a vapor barrier, and then we put paneling. But the vapor gets around that vapor barrier. It went up into that insulation, and because right on top of the decking is your metal, and that's bone cold in, this, in the wintertime for us, all that moisture went out and condensed on the inside of your boards. It's called dry rot. I'd never heard of it before. A lot of homes in our area takes 20, 30 years, and it rots out the, the roof, and they have to put a whole new roof and everything. The simple solution to that is you don't put any insulation in your wood. The insulation only goes on the outside. On the outside of that is, um, <clears throat> is a roof, and then on top of the roof you put three layers of this, the others are two inch, so we have five and a half inches of foam like this. It has foil. There's no ribs going anywhere. The entire roof is covered with it. It's out to the very edge. Then you put one by four across that are screwed down through, clear into your big beams, and then you put the metal roofing on. And so that wood stays the same temperature as the rest of the building inside, and you never get any moisture on it. No, I milled the beams, but not the wood. The wood is tongue and groove. That's two by six tongue and groove, and I just didn't have time to do that. This is a piece of the foam that you use around the foundation. Some of you are familiar with it. This can be buried. 
and it won't suck up moisture, this kind can't. But this is better insulation. So you only use this around foundations. We need more chairs. The biggest piece of lumber we ever milled is this 4 by 12 that's going down the whole ceiling and it's 36 feet long. I cut out of one tree that fell over in our place. It was a beautiful dug fir. Where are you going to get something like that? It, you know, so that really makes sense with a chainsaw. Here is an example of what we use rock <coughs> for. Um, <coughs> built this rock structure, which is made up of, it's, it's called river rock, but we didn't get it really all from the river. That's the kind of rock that is found buried in our uh, soil around the big ones. And so we save them all the time because if you have a building project, you want to use them on. And kind of buried in the foliage, you can see there's a pile there. Right here. That we just make a pile, pick from the pile to build it. It's <coughs> not finished yet. Um, We've got a little more to do on it. but It's a family memorial <laughs> building uh, where we can, uh, her parents, for instance, wanted to be buried there. They, so their ashes they wanted to be put in there. We're going to put a, we're going to put in a little deck in there. It's like a little castle building that'll last because it's all concrete and stone. And, a, and a, a nice little book that details their life and a beautiful picture of them. That's the, we got to put a door on it. We're not quite done. Um, but you got to gather a lot of stone because stone up in our area basically is free. I showed this picture before, but we mill or we dug our whole basement by hand. I mentioned that. And the stone that we got out of it, we lined the basement walls, and then we used this blue foam where we were going to uh, pour concrete where we wanted a heated room. It all ended up here, the dirt from it, wheelbarrowed over here. Um, people thought we were crazy, some of them, but if I'd had to have this built with machinery and the other dug, you know, five or ten thousand dollars right there, which is like fifteen or twenty thousand of income. And pretty soon you're talking about serious change. And for me, we could just, and the wheelbarrows are actually kind of quiet. Uh, it was, I actually enjoyed it. A lot of people wouldn't have. Um, we mixed our own concrete. We never had a concrete truck. It would have been difficult for them to even get a truck there. You can have, those of you who are builders know, you can have a big boom truck comes in uh, and it pumps the concrete up and you can put it wherever you want. That's what all the big boys do. I know all that. It costs $600 just to get him out there before I've even poured anything. So again, by, by mixing our own concrete, we saved a tremendous amount of money. Uh, we had a gasoline mixer, but it was all moved by hand. That's how we mixed it. And we had what you call cementing parties at our place, <coughs> many of them, as we were rebuilding from after our house fire. Otherwise, we probably never would have rebuilt a different house. But anyway, uh, there's neighbors there, one of the kids. And um, yeah, you know, that's what's great in living in a community like that is that neighbors help neighbors, and everybody was there to help us when we needed it. Every few weeks, we'd have another day that Warnicks were having a cementing party. <laughs> Most of the time, for a week or 10 days, we were there forming. Right. But when we were ready to pour, it might only take four hours, maybe five or six, but some of the neighbors would, hey, can you use a hand again? And we had helped a lot of them. They helped us. That's the best way to have an interchange like that. 
And we found in a community like that, people do that. And a lot of the folks that came were not members of our church. They were just friends in the community. Um, so it worked out well for us. This young boy here eventually became one of our students, was there for four years and graduated and now lives in the area too. Um, there's Linda proudly doing a wheelbarrow. Except it looks empty, so I'm not sure what I was doing. <laughs> we laid a lot of stone. And I've just I got to go through some of these pictures quickly. This is the furnace room. And I'll show you later how we laid the stone. But that looks like chaos to me. But when we were done, that's what that looked like. The walls are a foot thick uh, with stone and concrete behind. goes into the root cellar. Here's Linda laying stone again. But in detail, how it works, this is a wall that wasn't completed. She'd lay the stone up. We put a two-by-four across the front to keep it nice and straight. And the back of it was all crooked like this. The foam is back there as the form, and then there's rebar. And when we were ready, then you pour concrete behind the stone. So the stone is poured right into the concrete, and you get a foot-thick wall. And it holds tremendous heat. It's insulated. works super well. I don't know if you can see that red rock, big rock that's right to the right from the wheelbarrow there. Mm -hmm. Kind of follow that rock along. You can see it there. The wall's completed now. We just had to put a ceiling over the top, and that's what it looks like today. And the ceiling you see there is also concrete. And we'll talk about ceilings in a, in a little bit. But those walls ended up costing almost nothing. It was a lot of work. That's true, but it was all done in one summer. And this is part of the joy of <coughs> building your own home if your kids are older. The first house we built, Rochelle was a baby. But because we had to build again, now she's a teenager. And it just, you know, you're building a house, but you're also building family relations as you do this job, this big project. And so that's really a plus about building your own home mm -hmm. is if you can do it as a family. You see the wood <laughs> chute there. That's what eventually became the wood chute. So our firewood just comes down there. This is the furnace room. And this is that same place now. We build all our own cement forms. Uh, it's just they're simple forms. You use two by fours with half inch plywood. The, the boards are a foot uh, each way. And we use them over and over and over again. Put them up, uh, brace them, pour the concrete, strip the forms, use them again and again. I still have some of them. I used them to build a lot of other buildings too. And that's Rudy helping me again there. He was great, great help. In the, this is how we built the root cellar because the root cellar was to be built into the hill. So rather than foam, we, Linda and Rochelle, built a nice retaining wall out of ugly but good rocks that we had gotten out of the hole and then we just poured it we formed the whole thing poured it all in one day it was the largest pour we ever did which was 10 yards in one day which is a lot when you're mixing it yourself do a lot of tamping this is how you do a ceiling I had never done concrete ceilings and I was afraid of them because concrete's heavy what's going to keep it from cracking and falling in on you it really is fairly simple I had a friend who ran a glass shop but he had taken a little engineering and he told me I think I can tell you how to do this and in essence it's pretty simple if you think of a concrete ceiling here and it's only six inches thick for that concrete ceiling to break it's going to crack and go like this 
for it to crack and go like this, the first thing that has to happen at the top, it has to push in a little bit as it goes down. Concrete has tremendous compressibility, has no tensile strength. So once it passes that point, it's just going to go like this. But for it to crack open at the bottom, it has to pull the rebar out. So if you put rebar in, that's what this next one shows, the short way, exactly one inch from the bottom of the slab, up from the form, since concrete is three-quarter aggregate, basically, the rocks will fit under it nicely, good concrete, it gets a hold of that rebar. It's amazing what you can, that's how all the highway bridges are built and so on. Works really well, and having ceilings over your basement gives a heated floor for the upper floor, and also makes it safe. And it's about as cheap a building material as you can get if you do it yourself. Now, I've had people want to do this, but they didn't want to do the work or couldn't do the work because of time, so they got bids. It'll cost you tens of thousands of dollars to do this kind of work. If you do it yourself, it's really inexpensive. The other way, the rebar's one foot, and then you just pour it. It's only six inches thick. You don't want it thicker than that. It just adds weight without strength. And you can span anything up to 12 feet this way, but no more. And that's one reason why we, all of our rooms are less than 12 feet downstairs. And you just pour it on top. We did all our troweling by hand. Uh, you can see the screening board there. That's a ceiling when it's done. It's in the root cellar, and you can see it, still see the marks of the two or the four by eight sheets of plywood forms there. I I actually should go back just a couple there. When we put those forms up, they were actually two by fours, but under the two by fours running this way, then we put four by fours underneath <laughs> like this, just tacked them. And then because we have tons of what are called lodgepole pine in our area, they're really skinny, almost worthless pine, but they're really straight. The Indians used them for their teepees. They're really nice for that there. You just, we had lots of them. We just went out in the woods and cut them, and there was one every two feet. It was a forest down there. I love them there, but yeah, it was. You can see them there. Everywhere. We don't have a picture. And you have to leave it, you have to leave it. Uh, wrong way. Wrong way. You have to leave it for a week. Normal forms you can take in a day or two for walls, but this you have to leave, uh, leave a week, and then you strip them out, and it just stays there. You can put holes in it, which we've done in places for vents or whatever. doesn't make any difference. There were a few places where we put forms where we had forms on both sides. and I'll have to mention something about yeah. this man in the corner. <coughs> I don't know for sure how old he was there, but after our house was finished and he we was were in working his 80s. in his 80s. In other words, he should be an inspiration for all of us. I don't think any of us are in our 80s thinking of starting to build or be building on a project like this. This man was amazing. He would push wheelbarrows of gravel up the little incline to where we were mixing cement. And a few years later, he, when we were building the solarium that you've seen pictures of, we built that after the house. He was up there on the roof helping us put the roof on at 88. Yeah, at 80. We called his son and said, are you sure you want your dad doing that? He said. He was someone who came from Florida, drove his Thunderbird <laughs> all the way from Florida to Montana every summer, stayed for about two months or three. He loved building, and when he saw we were building, he said, can I come over and help? Yeah. He was wonderful help. And, and right. you know, you build a lot of friendship that way. He was a great guy. 
Earl was his name. You can see the ties that go through there. We, we actually, they make commercial ties and all that, but we used quarter inch all thread. And then put uh, nuts and bolts on each end. We'd unscrew them, pull the forms. When those walls were done, Linda faced them rather than putting rock up. So we kept all our flatter rock uh, for that. Out there you can see some of the, the little holes in the concrete. Those are what became the hot air vents coming from the furnace to heat our bedroom and the living room and all of that. And if you see the little uh, stove pipe there, if you can see it right here, that's the pipe coming from the furnace room up and this whole thing here is what became that curved walkway that's all heated by smoke. <coughs> Parts of the basement that we didn't dig out because we dug no more than we had to, we just poured a six inch slab but also insulated. So the entire bottom floor is concrete most of it um, has a room under it, but not all, but it all holds heat. Steps we did uh, by driving two by eights, wedging them in where we wanted them, just poured concrete down. That's what the stairway looks today. This is Rochelle. She's a happy, happy camper. Uh, the last wheelbarrow of cement. She got tired of doing cement. <laughs> uh, we did cement all summer till the middle of August until we finally were able to start with the wood and framing the walls. But I can tell you all that mass uh, in stone is, off. oh, it's so <laughs> wonderful in our home now. Yeah. But now we were against it because it was mid-August, Montana starts to snow a little in October, definitely in November. We hadn't framed anything. So now we madly went to framing. Uh, all that we could. That's Rochelle with a friend putting the plywood on the walls and then framing uh, gables, lifting the gables into place. And remember the students only work two hours a day so we had to make hay when we could. Putting them up, now it's starting to rain because it's in the fall and plastic everywhere. This is putting the side uh, beams up to the main ones at the top putting that tongue and groove on again. And um, I just want to show you a wall. I, I built a piece here for those of you who are interested in the technical part, and you can look at it better. But if you build a wall the normal way, you normally, either 2x4s in our area, it's all 2x6 framing, it would look like this without the foam. And so you put this, you stuff it with fiberglass, Put a vapor barrier, you can see the plastic there. Then you have, in our case, we did half inch plywood. A lot of people don't, that's just drywall right there. But I put plywood again, and then this is paneling coming up. You could have drywall here. If you do that without this foam, moisture gets in here even with your vapor barrier, goes in here, and when it hits this wall outside, if that's your last wall, it's the same as in the roof, it's ice cold and this all gets damp. Rudy, the very guy that was there, he was building his home. He got it all framed like this. He hadn't put the drywall on the inside, had his vapor barrier. He went in there one day, it was in the winter. He was heating it to work, and there was water running out underneath his wall. And he figured, did I leave something on? What's going on? There was, it was actually coming out and puddling on the subfloor. He finally ripped the plastic off, dug through the insulation, and the entire wall on the outside was all white with frost. And it warmed up a little bit. It was all melting, and it rots your wall. 
The way you solve that is on your outside you put your plywood and then the next thing you do is put this foam. The entire house is covered with that piece of foam. No breaks in it. You tape it. Then you put your paneling on the outside and screw it through that and the last thing it hits is warm wood. Solves your problem. I didn't know that until I built this house. And besides that, it super insulates your house, so you use a lot less firewood eventually. I do the same thing on the roof. There you can see the beams with the tongue groove, and they all look, and there's no mold and there's no rod or anything because the insulation's all on the outside. This is pouring the, the uh, concrete for the fireplace. And it, that happened when it was already starting to snow. And we built a, just a scaffold, and you see the bucket there? All the concrete was bucketed up, and we called it walking the plank. You walk across, dump it in. It took most of a day, but that's what it looks like today when you're done. And it holds tremendous heat in your house to have that stone and um, concrete inside. This is, you know, it can be discouraging for people to build their own home. How many of you have built your own home? Wonderful. You know what I'm talking about. It can be discouraging. For us, every day we got a little done. And you just kind of look at it that way because, I mean, you look at that mess. That's the, that's, that curved part is the smoke flue done now. There's the stairs going down and so on. Just support posts, but that's what it looks like today. It doesn't take very long and it's done. And with all the stonework there and so on. That's with this foam here coating the whole outside of the house. That's not Tyvek or just a house wrap. You actually do with this, and that solves a lot of your insulation problems. And then we taped the seams with the tape, and it just basically cuts out any unwanted airflow from the outside. And Your house is virtually airtight yeah. when you're done. That's you solve funny. that with that little vent in the root cellar that we talked about, and you get the air to go where you want it to. There, the snow is starting to come. We just barely got it roofed in time. Next spring, we put all the paneling, our siding on over that foam, and that's what it looks like today. And inside. And, and back at the kitchen she's stove. She's back at the kitchen stove. That's what the fireplace looks on yeah. the back side. And you can see the flue, we've learned, goes into the fireplace. So we've got just all the flues for all the heaters in one um, central place. And we didn't make the mistake we did in our mistake <coughs> house. And I assume all of you people were here before, and so we've talked all about mass heating, but maybe there's some folks that weren't. The secret to this is that huge solid concrete and stone-faced fireplace weighs about 40,000 pounds. It moderates the heat in the whole house. It's, it's essential for a home in the northern Rockies, and I think it would work in areas where you need air conditioning to moderate the temperatures in your home. And then you have a comfortable place where you can live together as a family knowing there's Rochelle in the very house she built. There's a lot of that there's a lot of nostalgia there and a lot of uh, family togetherness. Because of that, they wanted to build their own home when they got out of school. So Ted and Rochelle are now building a home on top of our hill. The Montana season is so short, here they are in late winter trying to lay out the house uh, in the snow with a, 
uh, transit. Ted's pretty good at stuff like that, and we worked it out. This is building the a garage first, and in essence, they're doing a version of what we did. This was their mistake house or their little apartment, mm -hmm. and they did make a few mistakes on it. Um, they could rectify theirs better than we could, but they now live in that apartment while we're building their home. I reckon, I've seen families try to live in the house that they're building. It can be, it can get really, um, what would you say? <laughs> Take the joy of what you're doing yeah, away. <laughs> especially if it takes years and years and years. it gets frustrating. This little apartment, I'll show you here in a minute, it's all finished now. It's small, but it's, it's uh, finished. This shows you trying to just the rough structure. They're using a different system. They're called BCIs. And we had a great family debate about what's better, good beams or these, and I won't go into all that. But uh, if you use enough of it, it works. Those are the mountains in the background. It looks like Tennessee, doesn't it? Or Georgia or whatever. Those are what are called the whitefish range, and that's where our springs come from, actually. And we're desperately trying to beat Old Man Winter again and we barely made it. We put the roof on it. Still isn't sighted in this picture. That allowed us to heat it now and so we could work all winter. And this is another thing that's worked well for us. We try to organize our life on our homestead so when it's summer you do summer work and you get something built and you leave it. That's hard for me to do. Let it be so when winter comes you got a warm place to work inside. You know Really, living in the country takes a lot of thought. It really does. Some people think, oh, you're just a bunch of country bumpkins. You don't know what you're doing. Actually, to live successfully in the country, I think, takes more reasoning and more thinking and more organization than somebody who just has somebody else build their home and all that in town because you never have to think about it. All you got to do is maintain it. But you can get wrapped up into uh, problems if you don't organize well. Rochelle had learned how to do cabinet work when she built our home, and so they built all their own cabinets. They could have easily bought cabinets, but they want to do that kind of thing. And there's that picture again. I love that picture. Curtis is taking it in that Daddy is his builder. We're building our home. It's interesting now. He's just over two now. He says, go my home. Go my home. It's important, people to raise your children where they can be part of the family instead of just in the way. Lane tile, this is what it looked like when they got done. <coughs> All the lumber you see in there was salvaged from a granary in North Dakota. Um, they call it the distressed wood look. <laughs> but the flooring came from there too and they, they re they, they, they bought their own little planer, replaned it, sanded it. Ted did a lot of work. It's beautiful fir wood. And they got a good deal on it, which they did. It was half the price of most of it. But as they are learning <coughs> in some areas, um, you've got to be careful what you're getting because you may oh. get into something and, like, yeah, they had, to re they had to plane all of the flooring, which they didn't realize they would have to do. And so they put a little more work into it than they had wanted, but it was very inexpensive. But the refrigerator there runs on their solar, and there's the cabinets they built. They had lofts upstairs, so they have enough room for now. And they're doing what I call a hybrid system. And some, <coughs> a lot of you, that's what you'll do. Linda and I 
had limited means and we felt we could only afford to put in one kind of heating system, one kind of cooking system. We couldn't do both. Ted and Rochelle are still working. They work at the hospital and they need something quick sometimes. So they've put in both. They have a wood cook stove, which works very well, and they use it almost all the time. But they have a propane stove if they need it quick because they've got to be off to the hospital. If you have enough funds that you can put both systems in, fine. It's just my view is don't just put just the propane or the natural gas or whatever and forget to put the system that will really work when you need it. I've seen many people do that. Well, we'll do that when we get a little that far, and they just never get to it. And you have to plan because wood cook stoves need a flu, and propane doesn't. So they're doing their whole heating on their house that way. It'll be um, wood with propane backup, and that's all right if you can do it. And two, Rochelle and Ted have found that um, Craigslist is the way to go if you want to do things inexpensively. They did not get a new wood stove for this apartment. It's a used one that they got a very good price on, and it's as good as new. It works really well for them, but you can see uh, their kitchen table, with which Rochelle loves, it's got the stressed look. It's patina. Is it patina <laughs> they call it? Yeah. I call it flaking paint. <laughs> this but. is a point of discussion a lot, too, but that's okay. It's their house. But everybody's, you know, oh, yeah. but it works just fine. It's Nice. She's Rochelle loves that little wood cook stove. She mm -hmm. grew up with one. She get up in the morning. She puts just a little bit in there to <clears throat> make some herb tea or something. It takes a little chill off. She bakes bread in there. It works wonderfully well, really. It's but it's in really good shape. If yes. you're going to get a used one, you got to get a really good. And a lot of them are used up. They're also trying to save money every way they can. This is a piece of aspen. We had a big aspen tree fell over in our place. Uh, and I looked at that and I said, that could make nice end tables. I showed Rochelle and she said, Dad, that's beautiful. So we have uh, two in our uh, guest cottage now, <clears throat> and they put two in theirs. They make nice end tables, cost you about 20 cents, maybe for the gas. <laughs> you know, it's a good deal. You've got to save money every way you can, or I can't say this enough, you end up getting a job and spend time away from your family. That's what happens. Um, here's Ted. <laughs> Uh, doing an incredible job of using an old chunk of, that's probably 250 years old, it was a dead snag, and he's turning that into a bathroom vanity. sink vanity. <laughs> and I just, I could show you lots of pictures, but he's carving in things there to put the plumbing in, and that's what it looks like today. It's gorgeous. Notice the floor, Rochelle laid all that rock. It's their, it's their North Fork bathroom because um, it has all the little stuff in it. So after they got the apartment done, now we're out trying to get the, the big house or the regular house actually built, and we have one season again. And Curtis is out there, of course, supervising, and we're putting in the plumbing that would go under the slab. And eventually, we, Ted and I put in all the piping, that they're going to have a heated slab with both wood and propane. That was actually quite a job to get that all in there right and all the plumbing underneath. But they choose their battles. They are both working, Rochelle not full time. So they have more funds to work with, but they have limited time. So they got to choose your battles. 
and they decided this is one battle that they would let somebody do. These guys did the whole slab in about six hours. So it was probably one of the best things they did as far as choosing it. It's a, a timber frame home. Um, Ted came from Maine. There's a lot of timber frame buildings. They're beautiful buildings. And they, they actually use dug fir from the west, if you can imagine shipping it all the way out there. So their framework is that way. And then they put up what are called SIPs. And I was not familiar with those because I can't make this by hand, so I probably wasn't interested. But those of you who are going to build maybe like this, this is what's called a SIP. It's actually a sandwich. It's a structurally insulated panel SIP. And they come in huge. Well, they, that, they can be huge. They can be, they can be 8 by 20. And they have OSB on both sides, and this is actually glued in there. So it's solid foam. It's the, it's the best insulated wall you can get. It's way better than fiberglass. It is burnable, but so is wood. Uh, and it's totally sealed. You get nothing through there. It, it really makes... You can now buy these just yourself. This was all cut to order, just put together. They put the whole frame up in three weeks. But I know another family that's actually buying these, and you just buy them in like you know, 8 by 10 sheets or whatever and cut your own windows in them or whatever, and you can put them on your roof. They'll actually, they're structural, so they'll actually hold a lot of weight as well. So it's another option. If you have the money you want to spend on them, they're, I don't think they cost a lot more than the materials for framing and all the other type of stuff, but hiring somebody to put them up, you have to pay for that. <coughs> Excuse me. That's what it looked like inside. We're doing all the internal work, all the framing, plumbing, electrical, all the paneling and cabinets and all that sort of stuff. But they are going to hire somebody to do the drywall. Our home has hardly any drywall in it, but it's an art, and people that know how to do it, do it well, and it's actually one of the least expensive things you can hire done. So they'll have that done. That's what it looked like late fall. They'd done their landscaping, all native stone and all that sort of stuff outside trying to get it done you can see it's already snowing in the mountains there and now there's loads of snow on the house too we kind of come first full circle here this is a piece of a wall from the porch of that original homestead cabin and Rochelle spotted that it was still in good shape she said dad that would make a wonderful uh, sit down bench for taking boots and stuff off in our new home so they put legs under it that's what they're using. Uh, we did a lot of gathering stone, and Ted's, uh, he's really big on big stone. <laughs> that was the biggest one, I think. We figure six or 800 pounds. But look at little Curtis learning homestead physics because <laughs> it's on little pieces of lodgepole rolling it into place. The fellow that's there helping him is a part-time caretaker for us, a wonderful young man. He stays in our guest cottage, and we just exchange. He doesn't pay rent, and we don't pay him for a certain amount of hours that he works. He, he loves to be in the North Fork. That's another way you can use your mistake house someday. Uh, it works really well if somebody wants to, quote, rent it. Um, it's only part-time, of course. He's a great guy, and fortunately, he's a lot stronger than I am, so he can lift all those rocks. That's the pile of rocks that, 
And it's kind of funny, Rochelle goes out, she does a lot of the gathering, but she doesn't do the heavy lifting. And she goes, guys, I want that one, and I want that one. And this is what it looks like when we're done. And she's just now, they're getting ready to start stoning their fireplace. So it's wonderful that she can do that now, wants to do it. When she was a little girl, she helped us build all our buildings. And she grew up thinking every daddy stays home and builds the house. Lunchtime. Lunchtime <laughs> on the job. And now she wants Curtis to have that same experience. So he's part of the crew. There's his dog, Misty. And I put this one in as <clears throat> we're nearly done here. Don't be discouraged if Rome isn't built in one day. This is our circle drive. You know, you've seen pictures of a nice fountain and the grass is all green and all that. And the roads are kind of, look at the roads. This is what we call Montana gravel. It's about anything fist size or smaller is fair game <laughs> when you're starting with mud and so on. That's our original solarium, orchard, greenhouse, and shop. But as time went on, I decided the shop, I didn't want a kind of a work building like that next to our school building. So it's been moved to another place. The others have been thoroughly remodeled because when they were like this, they did not have the foam on the outside. So eventually, in 20 years, the ceiling was starting to rot on me. So I replaced it, and that's what it looks like today in the same place. Look how the trees have grown. Uh, if you stick with it, don't get discouraged. And, oh, honey, we've been here for three years. It didn't go on good. Let's just get out of here. If you get a good piece of land and you know the Lord led you there and it has the right resources, just stay with it. Peck away at it day after day. Really, it's a good spiritual lesson of how our characters are built. It isn't going to happen overnight. <laughs> Just a couple other places. This is another home that an Adventist family built. It's smaller. Uh, it has log-type siding on it. Um, they, you know, it was a good home for them. It was just two of them. This is a mill that one of our current neighbors bought. It's a whole lot faster than a chainsaw mill that I did. It costs 10 times as much, but it'll cut 10 times as much lumber. So if you, and he's going to use it for business too, so he'll soon pay for that mill by just, he already has all kinds of people in the valley say, hey, will you mill my logs? It's amazing in a little valley like that with, quote, no people. And no phones between and no the houses. People know. Hey, did you Everything. hear so-and-so got a mill? <laughs> Pretty soon you got logs coming down the valley. Would you? It's not hard to have a business. You'd think this would be the hardest place to have a business, and we'll talk about that in our family business. All kinds of options if you think about it a little bit. You can get through this. That's how he cuts, and there's the lumber that you can make. He actually has a tongue and groove attachment, so they made their own tongue and groove, and has a siding attachment. He has a log um, uh, siding attachment. You do all kinds of stuff with stuff. Okay, we did it. Yeah, we got through. That's building your own home. So we'll take another little break for maybe 10 minutes and we'll come back. How to make all your utilities so it doesn't cost you anything. Hardly. <laughs> Independent utilities. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com.
www.audioverse.org.